Good morning. It is my privilege to be able to look at word, God's Word with you this morning and to seek to understand it, that we might be edified, that we might grow in grace and knowledge. We will be looking at Psalm 73 this morning, page 485, I believe, in the Bibles, if you don't have one with you, in the chair racks in front of you. And as we look at this, this psalm deals with focus. And we think about focus, we do it without even thinking of something as far away or something as close. But there are some things that take some concentration. We have a coffee table book. I'm not sure those are very popular anymore, but we have a coffee book and it has images in it, pictures. And there is a title that was developed for them, Single Image Random Dot Stereograms. And the publisher looked at that and said, let's just call it Magic Eye. And you look at them and they look, some of them look like modern artwork that you say, I'm not sure I'd want that on my wall. And some of them are other pictures. But if you take it and you look and you, and you study and you adjust your focus just right, suddenly another picture in that picture appears. Remember the time my grandson was looking at it first, and, and he's looking, and he says, how does this work, Grandpa? And he's holding it and moving it and trying to focus, and all of a sudden he says, I see it, Grandpa, I see it! Because he saw this image that suddenly developed within that picture. And this morning we want, through Psalm 73, to look at a focus, not of your eyes, but of your heart, the focus of our hearts. And we do this through the psalm that Asaph wrote. And this is a very personal psalm for Asaph. It is something that he experienced himself, that it was a journey that he is now relating. And in this, he went from confusion to clarity to contentment. We want to look at the, this psalm in those parts as he, as he writes, as he is inspired by God the Holy Spirit, as he writes this, that God's people who would relate to this psalm, who does not know times of confusion in their Christian life, and seek clarity, seek contentment, that's what we want to trace through this psalm. As he begins, he begins with something that he has heard all of his life growing up. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. If you grew up in the church, this is something you can relate to. We're told, we're instructed, we teach our children how to behave, how to look for God to bless us, what he expects for us to be good children, to be faithful. And this is what he had heard all his life, and, and yet there comes a time in his life of confusion where he, he looks around him and he doesn't see what matches what he had always heard. God is good to those who are pure in heart. 
Instead, there is that source of confusion. And he would have been taught, look at the examples in the Old Testament. Look at how Abraham, though he left so much behind, how God blessed him and how he prospered and how he is described as being very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Look at Isaac, his son, who gained more and more until he became very rich. Or we think of Jacob, where he increased in flocks and herds and servants. All these were blessed by God. But Asaph looked around. And he became confused because we, we read what happened. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You see, why there is the confusion. He looked and he said, here is the promises of the blessing of God to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the children of Israel, that they would be given a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet he, he looked at his own life. In comparison, in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I have followed those commands of God. I have sought to be faithful. And what has it gained me? Trouble. He looked at the wicked and he says, look at them. Look at they prosper. No one rebukes them. Instead, they are, their tongues strut through the earth. You, you think of the imagery of somebody strutting proud, arrogant, saying whatever is on their heart, whatever they desire. And yet there was that struggle within him, that confusion. For he knew if I had said, I will speak thus, saying that he had wasted his devotion to the Lord God, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. This is what he had grown up with. This is what he had known. And so he says, how do I make sense of this? And who has not looked? And seen the wicked prosper, while the righteous suffer. 
And it can lead to questions. It can lead to bitterness, to envy. And it is a dangerous time. A dangerous time in our lives when we we begin to look and, and the question comes into our minds and sometimes into our hearts, is it worth it? All the the self-denial, the loving others rather than myself, and and what am I gaining for it? Those who care only for themselves, they seem to be getting everything they desire. Here is the confusion. Where would he gain clarity? Where would he gain clarity? That focus. We see what he says. When I I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He struggled. He thought. He wrestled. But then he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Where did clarity come from? Where did he find an answer? Where did he find focus? In the sanctuary of God. He went to the tabernacle. And there, yes, there was the beauty of it. There were the articles that were made of gold, showing the glory, the richness, the beauty representing God, the Ark of the Covenant. There was the promise of God dwelling with his people. And he went there, and there he would be joined with others, those who had come to worship God, to testify and declare of his greatness, the externals were a picture for him, a picture of a reality because it was Moses who had given directions for how the the tabernacle was to be built, that he was told that the vision he had been given of heavenly realities were to be reflected in that tabernacle, that God in the midst of it, in the holy of holies, was unapproachable by sinners. But that there was the provision for ministry. That those who were priests could come and intercede, that they could pray for the people of God, that they could come with their sacrifice, that the life of an animal might be taken, and that they by faith might know forgiveness from God. And this was set before him in the tabernacle as he approached it. And we think we don't have a tabernacle today. We don't have a temple that Solomon built with all of its glory. And we have a wonderful facility, but we don't have all the the walls covered with carvings, with gold, with silver. But we have the same thing that he understood, the presence of God. 
And there was an awareness as he approached the tabernacle that God was a holy God. That he was veiled from the sight of the people within the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could enter once a year. There was a reminder that the holiness of God would bring judgment to sinners. And therefore they approached through sacrifice. Acknowledging, I deserve to die, but I present this animal in my place. Knowing that it could not make them perfect. Because they had to offer sacrifices again and again and again. And as we come, as we come to God, he has not changed in his holiness. And this is what Asaph is drawn to. For he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. That there is a judgment that will come upon the wicked. And suddenly, there was a different perspective. Suddenly, things came into focus for him. His heart was again Focus now not on the immediate, not on the circumstances around him, but on that bigger picture of God, a holy God who is in the midst of his people, a God who came to his people, who came on Mount Sinai and and came revealing something of his glory so that the people feared and, and trembled and said to Moses, you talk to God. And we will listen to you. As Asaph comes to that realization, he, he declares, truly, you sit in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin." How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. Here he looks back and he thinks about what his attitude, what his focus was like. And as we think about that, we think about our own hearts at times. When we have been defined by the circumstances around us, when that is all that we can see. And, and why is that? It's because we are born that way. We are born in our sin. We are born blind. And if you're here this morning, you are not a Christian, and you say, it doesn't make sense to me. I can try to be good and somebody who's bad gains whatever they want and I don't get it. We must have this focus. Not to be defined by our immediate circumstances. Not by the things we do not receive, that we desire. Not by the rebuke that we might receive, 
not by the prosperity of others. This is what Asaph came to see, that there was another reality, a greater one. And through that, he saw the entire world differently. Before, he says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you that doesn't think about anything except where are they going to find their next meal. But he is given that focus, that God is a God from everlasting to everlasting. That here is a God that I may have fellowship with. And that fellowship as, as he comes to me. And I approach him through sacrifice. I may have that fellowship. Now, I'm thankful that we don't have to bring animals to church and slaughter them and spill the blood outside somewhere. No, but we have a sacrifice. We have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the provision. Here is what gives us perspective. And as we come to church, we think of how we, like Asaph, are, are given clarity. We think of the songs that we sing. What do they do? They lift up, they magnify Jesus. Because he is Redeemer. He is Savior. He is truly God, exalted above the, the heavens. And yet he is the Son of Man like us in all things, except sin, that he might be a faithful high priest. And we are reminded that he offered himself a sacrifice once for all, that we might have that fellowship forever with God. And what a difference that suddenly makes. For he reminds himself that God, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as, as phantoms, as, as apparitions, that they vanish. You wake up from a dream and, and it's gone. In the dream it seems so real, but you wake up and it is no longer. And so the wicked. Yes, they, they prosper in the earth. They cry out against heaven. Their tongue struts in the earth and yet... It is vanity. It is nothing. A chasing after the wind. And all that they have will one day come to judgment before the Lord God Almighty. And this was the reality that he saw as he came again to the tabernacle of God. As he came to the place where God met with his people. Where God revealed his, his truth that they might see and understand, that they might understand what the world is all about. It's not about the influence and power and wealth you gain here on the earth. For all that will vanish. And at death you will be separated from it, and what will you have left? If you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing but the prospect of God's judgment. Asaph reflects, after he gains this clarity on the contentment that he knows, he thinks 
first of all, of the grace of God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Asaph doesn't say, hey, look how smart I am. Look at what I figured out. I went to the temple and, man, I've got this all down. No, he says it was because God held his right hand. Here is the mercy, the grace of God that led him through even those times of doubt, of confusion, of questioning to give him that clarity. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Here was the path laid out for Asaph. Here is where he begins to find that contentment because of the clarity that he has gained. And therefore he expresses so beautifully, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Suddenly because of that focus, he saw everything else differently. Did he see the mansion of the rich man? Did he see the influence and power of some great ruler? He said, what is that in comparison to my God, to my Savior? And even the hosts of heaven, the spiritual powers and forces, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. You see the focus that he found? That here was his confidence that God would bring him to glory, would bring him to himself. Yes, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here was his contentment his relationship to God. For God had led him by his right hand. It was God who brought that fellowship, who made it possible for him as he came to the tabernacle, as he could approach God, as he offered the sacrifice, as he heard the assurance of the priest, your sins are forgiven, as he rejoiced and praised the Lord God. Here he found his contentment. And there is the contrast that he develops then. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Despite all their influence, despite all their wealth, despite whatever they have, if they are far from God, they will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But the contrast, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Here is the place he finds contentment, refuge. That I may tell of all your works. You see how that focus that he has gained now comes to expression before, what is it? The expression of doubts. And he knew it's wrong, but how do I come to a place of clarity, of contentment? And it is 
finding the place of fellowship with God and with his people, that I may tell of your works. And you read through the Psalms, and in the Psalms of praise and adoration, so often what do you read? I will tell, I will declare your greatness. I will declare your salvation in the great multitude as the people gather. He would encourage them and declare, I have conquered those doubts. I have overcome that confusion, for I have seen in the tabernacle a God of grace, a God of mercy, who provides sacrifice that I may come into his presence and be received. And do we not do the same thing? We come to church in the presence of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, claiming his death as ours, his life as my life, His glory is my glory. Who can imagine a sinner coming to God in that way? And the grace, the mercy. We too say, I will tell of your great works, of how marvelous that a sinner deserving eternal death receives eternal life. And you see Asaph's personal journey. He knew the truth. He stated it at the beginning. But somewhere along the line, he lost that focus. And that's the thing, even with this table, coffee table book we have. You, you look at it once and you say, I see that image in there. But you put it away and you pick it up a week later and you go, Uh, Where is it again? It's something that takes concentration, focus. It's not, I've got it once and now I always have it. No, it is something that we are called to be diligent about. Something that we are called to remind ourselves, to gather together, that we may again be Reminded of the focus of our souls on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter gives this exhortation in 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the exhortation, not you've raised your hand once, you've gone forward once, and everything is taken care of. No, we are surrounded by the world, and it presses in upon us. And it wants to say, look who has it made. Is it those poor Christians who who want to live by some archaic rules of loving others and considering others better than themselves, or those who are going to take whatever they can get. And we can be influenced by that. We can lose our focus even as Asaph did for a time. 
And therefore, we are encouraged. We are exhorted, even as we were last week, to gather together that we might encourage one another because the day of the Lord is coming, the day of judgment, when there will be that division of sheep from goats, of believers from unbelievers. And so we are encouraged. But it is Asaph who gives the great encouragement. We can find that contentment. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing greater. There is no one with greater grace and love who uses all of his power and wisdom to direct our paths to the Lord Jesus Christ, to give us focus that we may know clarity and contentment May that be true of all who are here this morning to see Jesus as God amongst us, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and brings you to glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you that you inspired Asaph the psalmist to share his own experience, his journey, the reality of his questioning, of his confusion, but also to share how he found clarity and contentment, that it was in the presence of God that he might join in rejoicing and declaring the great works of God, even as we join together and declare the salvation that is accomplished in Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.